coming up on this episode of Up for Debate. It's our first edition of our Up for Debate book club, and we read Ready Player One. Are you excited about the 80s and virtual reality and the collapse of society? Well, we've got the book for you. Stick around. We cover it fully right now. This is Up for Debate, episode number 88, recorded September 27th, 2017. We read Ready Player One. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, uh, the podcast that I guess now reads books. Who knew? Uh, yes. I'm Sean Jennings, joined as always by uh, by the man who has all of the keys, Mr. Matt Mariani. Yes. Um, salutations, fellow book reader, Sean Jennings. I am now. I am. I am. Now. I was telling Matt before the show. The last time I read a fiction book. I was pro. I, it was probably because I was in high school and because I was forced to read it. I'll probably Catcher in the Rye was the last fiction book I read. I, I never read fiction, so this was a very nice change of pace. Yeah, I, I look forward to doing this more in the future. Um, I feel like I've always kind of wanted to be part of a book club, and now we've kind of made our own. And even though it's only two of us, that's not sad at all. You know, we can talk about books with each other, and that's fine. And um, our, our loyal fans who, who love this show can also talk about books with us. So I hope this thing kind of snowballs into a, uh, a successful of us in, in reading many, many pages of literature. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've talked about this. We want to have guests more on this. We try to get a guest. We won't say who for this episode. They couldn't make it. So you're stuck with the two of us. Um, but I'm secretly, my goal is I'm going to try and steer Matt into, we'll always do books, I promise. But I also kind of want to do a movie club too, only because I don't read as much as I should. And I think maybe we'll try and split the difference, but we'll see. But I will say, Matt, I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, this is the first, ep- we've done 88 of these. This is the first episode we've ever done that is on one single thing. What? No, that can't be true. Think about it. Give me an example. Everyone we've always done, it's always the Star Wars movies, the Marvel movies. The, even last week was the Goonies and Airplane. We've never done an episode on one specific topic. Well, I mean, we did Saturday a Saturday Night Live episode with... All the episodes of Saturday, but that was all about the different sketches. I'm just saying, taking a single piece of media, I guess the best we did do an episode on Force Awakens, so that was probably the closest. Yeah, but even that was not quite as specific as this. So I'm excited. This is new territory for us. Yeah, it's a new uncharted territory, much like the uncharted territory that is explored in this book absolutely now i want to warn everybody of course uh this episode is rated s for spoilers we will be obviously talking about the book if you haven't read it uh we'll be talking cover to cover so go read it then come back and listen to this episode and you'll enjoy it more um matt how do you how do you want to do you want to start with 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 your summary feelings on the book and we'll go into the details do you want to start with the details and go into the end with the summary how do you want to I've kind of compiled a set of notes and I think maybe the best approach is to just kind of go like, I was just kind of going to read the commentary because I think we both, after talking with you, Sean, I think we both came to the same conclusion immediately after reading the last um, page of this book, which was 
you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever had more mixed feelings about <laughs> very true about a work of literature or film or anything of that uh, spirit in my life. I mean, this was a doozy. And I, I really have never had more conflicting opinions. That's the good way I, I would I would word it. Because I think that this book is useful for exploring the passion that a writer might have for a specific topic. And and even though because the number one thing that that comes to my mind when I think of, of uh, if I were to give if I were to sum, summarize the entire book in in one word, um, it would be or rather in, in a statement in one statement I would say it would be fan servicey, focused, but totally totally a labor of love. So that is my my. Uh, your, your, your that's, quick that's, summary. That's what I took away from the book is that, well, what I mean by that is that the author, all right, um, Clive Davis, Davis, that is his name, that is name. Er, er, Ernest yeah, Klein. That wasn't even close to what I just said. No. We exactly. can fix that in, in post, 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 right? right? Yes. Like, like we always do. Oh, hang on, um, Matt. Can you just stop talking for just a second? Your microphone's doing that thing again, but usually if you back away a little bit and stop talking, sometimes it fixes itself. Yeah, put your hands up. You promised me you'd sit on your hands. Back away. See there, I, I did. and it's fixed. Up in... okay. I'm just gonna leave them right here. <laughs> Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them where you can see them. All right. So um, Ernest Klein. Um. Anyway, the author of this book, you can tell, has such an affinity. There's such an appreciation for '80s culture that. I mean, this whole book goes on and on with the references, the callbacks, the um, the uh, almost worship of everything 80s pop culture and specifically nerd culture. Um, and and you can really the, you, his his appreciation is and his his uh, adoration for all these things really shines through, but it's very very unfocused and and it's almost like a it's almost like reading the thoughts of someone with extreme uh, ADHD, well, but also with an extreme appreciation for 80s culture. Um, now, I, I, you know, this was, I should preface, it was, um, it was Klein's first book that he's ever published, as far as I know. Um, and uh, no matter what we say tonight about him or his book, I mean... The guy hit the he hit the, uh, the the mother load. He hit the jackpot here because his book is uh, you know a bestseller. It, it, Steven Spielberg is turning it into a movie. Uh, so this guy obviously you know we talk about getting all the keys. This guy uh, guy he's got them all in his pocket. So there's definitely a big big treasure, a big Easter egg waiting for him at the end uh, for his troubles now. Yeah, I mean, I I think if I if I had to sum up my thoughts in this book in a sentence, it would probably be uh, poorly written adult fiction, uh, young adult fiction that I really enjoyed reading. Like, it's not a good book. 
I cannot stress how annoyed I was reading it at how poorly written and cheaply made this book was. To call this man a great author is not a great description. However, I enjoyed this book in the same way people enjoy Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight or The Hunger Games. It's not a good book, but it is an enjoyable read. And that is why I'm so conflicted about it, because... It, it is absolutely that young adult fiction genre that nobody wants to admit it is, but it totally is with the everything from like the, the young hero who gets like buffed throughout the book for no reason and falls in love with the girl at the end and has to defeat the big government evil bad guys to, to win some sort of prize to pull himself out of poverty in this post-apocalyptic society. It's like it, he basically just rewrote Hunger Games and... The book was written in the first person, which for me is like the cheapest way to write a book because it's so easy when a character can just tell you how they feel rather than you inferring it through good writing. Um, and I don't mean to trash on Ernest Klein too much because good for him. He's very successful and he's going to make a lot of money and that's fantastic. But in terms of just being a book, it's not very good at all. Oh, that's really my feeling. No, I... I 100% agree with you, Sean. I think that it, it really is not a good book well, at all. And, and you know, it's for... an adventure. It's an adventure. It's a uh, page turner for some reason. I haven't really figured out why, but I, I, I got through this book relatively quickly and I wanted to kind of see the adventure play out. It's the best. It's one of the best examples I can think of, of like reading a movie. Yeah. You know, like, oh, the movie's going to be way better than the book. And if the movie sucks, it's better than the book because this is a this is a movie. It really is. This is meant to be seen, yeah. not read. Totally. And I thought that one of the actually one of the biggest problems with the narrative. That I found was the um, the constant need to explain every single bit. I think I feel like if he had just gone in with the idea that the only people that are going to read this are with the same affinity for eighties nerd culture as me get all my references and I won't have to explain any of them. I think the book would be like half the length, but twice as good. If he just kind of let it up to us to go look up the things he was talking well, about. I, I think a very easy way to improve on this book. Th this book is three books. That's really the problem. It's three books, right? You've got a post energy society collapse, which is interesting. You've got, <laughs> Immer cool immersive virtual reality world also interesting and then you have a, just a book about the 80s which is also interesting but when you smash them together i think it's like you know it's 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 mixing three things that just don't belong and it kind of rejects itself if this book had been for example uh, just an example if this book had been a willy wonka style adventure set in the 80s around a crazy video game developer who works for Atari or something and made this video game and left his fortune to 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 these kids i would have liked it much better because in the same way, if this was just society has collapsed and this young guy's got to figure out how to how to survive using technology in a world where technology doesn't work anymore, that's also more interesting than this book. But instead, you're comp it's like he had a bunch of half-baked ideas he kind of smashed together to, to make a book that kind of worked. You know, and I thought that was yeah, a missed opportunity. I, and it's funny you mentioned that because I as I was reading the book, I, I found myself thinking like, wow, I, I, I really hope that this post-energy collapse society thing. I, I really hope he kind of fleshes this idea out. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more of, you know, what would happen to society if such a thing were to occur and or what his ideas of 
of how a society like that would would function and and grow. Um, but instead, I think what we got was uh, little snippets. That was that was more or less just the just the um, just the bedrock upon which to to kind of he he builds his house. He builds his story out of, and it, it doesn't really get a whole lot of attention. And especially as you, I mean, as we go, we we see little glimpses here and there. There's some kind of, um, well, spoilers. I should go uh, say before we yeah, go. They're any all further. spoilers. They're all spoilers. Um, yes, but but as as you go, you learn that the corporation in the video game world or the virtual world, the um, the corporation from the virtual world is actually basically controlling the world's resources um, and the world's police. And not only are they an extremely powerful entity in the virtual world, but they, they've basically become in the real world. Oh, the the, the um, whole indentured servitude part of the book was fascinating to me. Oh my God, in the future, if you don't pay your debts, you become basically servants of these corporations. And then there's like, like two sentences in the book where it's like, wow, think of all the employees who work upstairs in these buildings. Do they even realize what's going on with the indentured servitudes below? I'm like, write a whole fucking book about that. That'd be great. I'd love to read that. That's so cool. But it's a throwaway sentence in a book where there's a thousand of those where you're like, the the... Ernest Klein for me is a good details guy. I think some of the details around how this VR world works and how, you know, the little bits he gives us of like, you know, oh, how like a VR suit would work or like a motion control suit would work or like even the, the little bit where he was talking about his when he gets the apartment um, and he talks about the shower that sort of cleans him and the automatic door. Like some of that was kind of cool, actually. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But it's all throwaway to this like weird sort of story that goes on it i don't know I, it wasn't a good mix for me between those elements like i wanted more of some and less of others i, I kind of didn't really understand why he needed to explain anything from the the real world at all like don't get me wrong i found those pages extremely valuable in and of themselves and and like you said i i really would like to see a spin-off almost like a spin-off book created just in that world in the in this quote-unquote real world that um his character lives in uh, but I, I feel like the I feel like he could have just had you know it all set in this virtual world and right. not explained any of that right. at all. Pick, pick your battles. Pick your battles. I think I think the reason he was he was kind of going for almost like a Willy Wonka thing, like you know he's from a oh, guy, totally. kid is from a poor family, um, down down on his luck, downtrodden, which which also is like the perfect '80s plot anyway, right? Mm-hmm. When you watch all the the '80s kind of. Um, uh, what is it like a like underdog hero stories all have that same well, we talked about the goonies last week right exactly so i could see where he's coming from but but i mean he he really kind of goes almost full like schizophrenic where he he is explaining this whole plot or bipolar like explaining this whole plot fleshing it all out and then just like shifts it to this other world that is also very interesting but like you said the, the two sides are very much at odds with each other. Well, and um, and he keeps doing this, he keeps doing this thing where he keeps interjecting, how do I want to put it? He, he keeps interjecting, um, he keeps interjecting these kind of complicated uh, details later in the book, only when it services the plot too. Like the, the first, for me, the first third of the book was really boring. It really was because it was all exposition. And I, I, that really bugs me. I didn't care for that. There were little details in there that were good. Overall, it was slow to get into. Once the sort of mystery puzzle-solving element came in, I think it picked up a little bit. 
but like when you're right when around you're, when he finds the first key, I thought totally. Then, then as soon know. as as soon as they blow up the trailer park, that's when the action gets going. That's when things start happening, mm-hmm. right? And so you're introducing more characters. I think it's a little better at that point, yeah. but it's like when you're two thirds of the way, almost to the end of the book, and they're like, "Oh, it turns out there's a thing in this world where you can have, you know, where he gets his asteroid that he kind of lives on in the at the end of the book," and he's like, "Oh, yeah, it turns out in this world we didn't tell you this earlier, but you can have a private space you can go and keep all your shit." And it's like, well, you know, it's like don't throw in details when it's convenient for the plot. I just it didn't feel super well thought out to me in that respect. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you there too. It's like he kept digging a plot hole. And then immediately filling it up. Yes. And and he would create things, you know, just because it's a virtual world and he can do that. And then, or either, either, you know, conversely his, his, uh, his dirt that he would use to fill up his plot holes would either be from this virtual world that he created or from this post-apocalyptic world that he created. And he was kind of like, just, it's towards the end it kind of just felt like he was making things up as he was going along didn't really edit edit much of it out it's just like oh oh wait so i need a, a useful device to explain why this is happening all right um i thought the best example of that was um when when he's playing the um he's playing that that arcade game or he just he just magically stumbles upon that arcade game in the pizza yes, shop yes that was annoying on the pizza shop and then that that coin turns out to be like the crucial item the crucial MacGuffin he yep. needs at the end of the story very cheap like it, it looks like it sounds like to me you can clearly tell and i think this is a beautiful thing in a way because it kind of shows his his raw side as a as an artist first starting out as an author like first starting out that that he wrote all the way till the end of the book and then was like oh crap i need to insert some kind of MacGuffin. And then he went, I, I could almost see him like going back in his story and, and rewriting the part with the pizzeria and the arcade and the coin. Well, you know, one thing about Ernest Klein, and I don't know how much you've read about him. Uh, Ready Player One was his first book. Before that, he was best known for spoken word poetry. And this book reads to me as someone who does not know how to write long pieces of literature. Because, again, I feel in small doses, in small parts of the book, there are a lot of really good small stories within it. As, as one complete work, I think it falls uh, a tad bit short. Now, I, I do want to spend a minute. Let's. I want to really dive into the 1980s-ness of this book, which we haven't really touched on too much. First of all, I... I am more than willing to, you know, willing suspension of disbelief. I'm willing to to to, to believe that this is a real world where there, there's no more energy and people live in VR all the time and the Oasis is real. Okay, I'm willing to buy into that. But this weird idea that this all-encompassing future VR world is like weirdly based on pop culture from the 80s really bothered me. And I don't know why, but like every time where they're like, um, oh, and you reminded me, I gotta make another point about the main character later, but... um. Where, where it's like, oh yeah, this the creator of the game knew every movie from the 80s and every video game from the 80s, and he loved the 80s, and then there's a big 80s revival, and everyone watches 80s TV shows now, and I'm like, 
but like no no that's not a thing like that's really bothersome and what bothered me about ernest klein's writing another problem i had was i give him credit he knew his video game his 80s video games really well i thought he did a good job with uh the games in the book like joust where i think it was a good use of those throughout the games i honestly wish he had just left it there and not said all 80s culture it you know the characters are like I listen to Duran Duran to get psyched up and I'm like we get it it's the 80s stop <laughs> I wish he had really just focused on the video game piece because I thought that was well the problem I had was all the other 80 references were super cheap most of them that I noticed were like uh, oh you know I, I I went walking and I and I fell down like in Back to the Future and like that was the whole reference and it's like you, these are not they're not very good. They're not very, you know, like I had to solve a mystery like Indiana Jones. And I'm like, we get it. You watch things in the 80s. Like it it really didn't click well for me. That part really, the, especially in the beginning in that really long exposition, it really sounded like a very creepy religion that, yes. had, that had developed. Like, and, and I didn't really quite understand why is it, it was almost like a cult of personality in a way like this, the guy, um, uh, Anorak, the, the guy who creates the Oasis, yep. he, um, he, he almost becomes a godlike figure in a way, or a, at least a, um, some kind of messianic figure, uh, because he, he created this big virtual world and he happened to really love the eighties. So then the rest of the world now watches eighties movies and memorizes them. And when he talked about the amount of time that his character spent, he was like, it's my, it was my 12th time watching, um, pretty in pink uh, or whatever reference. Yeah. Pretty. In pink. Yeah. Or, um, family ties, you know, yeah. like I, I, I've, I've watched the entire series about 13 times. Like it's like, and I, and I felt kind of sad in a way. Cause it's like, I, I think it may, in a way, maybe it speaks about society and binge watching and things like that. But at the same time, like you wonder how society could have plummeted so far that that's all people do now well, is they, they go to work and they come home and they rewatch their, this movie that they've seen like 20,000 times. Well, and that's what kind of I interested slashed bothered me, which was, um, they pretty much made very little reference to the pop culture of the current day. In the book, and I understand why they really focused on the 80s things and life in the Oasis, but then they would sneak in weird references that I thought like either weren't well thought, but they like they make a reference about how their care, you know, like because now they're famous in the book, right? Because everyone knows who they are. They found these clues like they're in a sketch in SNL, which they reference in the book. And I'm like, is SNL still a thing in like 40 years in the future and people watch it like that's or they make a reference like, oh, people are putting stuff on YouTube. And I'm like. I thought you kind of made it clear that the Oasis was everything, but YouTube is still a thing. Like it was those kind of weird references where I'm like, I feel like it was just easier for the author to just say everything's eighties. It's pretty easy. Don't have to make up future pop culture. Cause just everything's the eighties. Well, see, I, I saw the SNL reference as just a, yet another reference to the eighties, even though SNL came out in the seventies. Yeah, that's true. I guess that, that's that kind of like, peaked, or like not peaked, but, you know, it was very popular in the 80s. It's just another 80s thing, Ugh. like late 70s, 80s, you know, saw it at least. But it, yeah, it, it was very, uh, very creepy, that, 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 that kind yes. of devotion. 
And I, I felt it was just unnecessary. Like, okay, we get it. Yeah. Like, you love the 80s. And I would have really loved, and this happened right at the tip end of the book, and I would have loved a lot more of it, really an in-depth backstory on uh, James Holloway, the, the the creator of the Oasis. Um, we've, we learned very late in the book and, and on the surface his motivations and why he did what he did, why he locked himself away, why he created this contest, why he created the Oasis. We get like little sprinkles here and there, but it, they don't dive in. And I'm like, he's almost in some way the most interesting character in the book. And you don't, you don't touch on him at all. You spend a lot of time just talking about why trailers are stacked on top of each other in the future. You know, again, picking your battles, things that could have, could have been picked up and, and done better. But you did remind me there was one thing that really bothered me about this book. Again, very young adult fiction where the main character knows everything and can solve every problem. And it really started to piss me off in the middle of the book where he knew every rep, like no one fucking knows everything this guy knows and can get out of every jam. Every single line to the movie war games. I hated that part. Like, (laughs) no, like, like, Oh no, I know (laughs) everything about the history of this one guy. I have a Bible that's 5,000 pages long and I know every (laughs) word in it. Like, no, you don't. You know, like weird, like, like, oh, I know these weird specific Japanese animes that ran for eight episodes in 1987. And it's like, (laughs) like, no, you're just a cheap character who can just solve any problem that's put in front of you. Your life is never in any real danger. I really wish, speaking about having like the the manual that's also like a Bible for everything uh, and talking about the 80s culture as if it's its own like cult religion. I really wish he had almost like leaned into that more. And just gone for it and been like, yes, this is a fully fledged religion in the new world, like post-apocalyptic, like everything really sucks now and we don't have a culture of our own. Nostalgia so is we've a religion. Kind of, we've kind of hijacked this culture and maybe they could have had like a Reformation branch, branch that like really appreciates 90s culture and like they, they fight with each other. Like I feel like it would, would have spoken more That's about – That's a great idea about the human psyche and the human dynamic that like, you know, whether it's religion or pop culture, whatever it is, like, we're always going to fight about it. We're always going to find differences and embrace them. And like, that would have been, re- that's another book. I and love this that. book is really like, like five or six books in one that just would have been crazy. Like just, I, I wish he had leaned in one direction and just really gone for it instead of just these, these kind of like fanciful ideas that just kind of, he kind of makes like a pastiche of all of them. Yep. I agree. But you know, I I do want to say though, I do think we've spent a lot of the time of this episode fairly criticizing the book. I would like to talk about things we liked about the book. And so people don't think we absolutely hated it. And I I want to start off by saying before we do that, can I just, I just jump in just one more time? Please Um, do. I just want to say, uh, I was waiting the whole book for um, just something unpredictable to happen and, mm. and cra- like crazy. And I think the craziest thing we get is the the gender of one of the characters doesn't turn out to be the one we expect. Right. Which, which is an interesting moment. I, I, I appreciated that moment. I think that it was uh, it was refreshing in a way to kind of like blow away gender stereotypes and racial stereotypes. It was it was a pretty cool moment. But but I was waiting for. Um, I was waiting for the, uh, the character who's the best friend of not the, not Parsifal, but 
the best friend of the guy who made the Oasis. Oh, Og. Og. Og, yeah. I was waiting for his character to turn evil. I was waiting for him to turn out to mm-hmm. be like the the bad guy who's been like leading them astray or conversely like just using them. That's what I was really waiting for. Like he was using them to get the treasure and like once he finds the Easter egg, he turns on him and the final battle is with Og, not just the president of this corporation who mm-hmm. have kind of been expecting it all along. I don't know. I thought that would have been a really cool twist in a way, like almost like a um I don't know. Like a Yeah, but wouldn't that like have been but wouldn't that twist? have been almost as predictable? Like like either either he was going to be the bad guy or he was going to be the one who saves them at the end. You don't introduce his character and have him not do anything related to the plot. So you knew yeah, it was going one way was, or the other. It was such a it was such a Deus Ex Machina though. It's like he gets his ass kicked and then oh the the godlike character steps in and and just basically makes him win. He doesn't even really win on his own merit. He just gets rescued. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. I, I thought it would have been really cool if he had turned out to be just like the jealous evil uh, evil guy the whole time. I, I will say, though, I do want to circle back, though, to your comment, because actually I, I disagree with you a little bit. Finally, we're disagreeing um, on the sort of um, the ending of the book and the sort of not that I don't think this is the main thing you're supposed to take away, but the message in the book that oh, people who look different really aren't all that different. And, you know, you 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 shouldn't judge people based on how they look uh, message at the end, I feel is radically unearned and I feel like is so hollow at the end of this book and it feels tacked on and it feels really cheap. And I was reading it and I felt gross and I'm not going to lie <laughs> because I really felt like this whole You can't have a whole book, young adult fiction, and I'm going to keep calling it that because that's what it is. You can't have that whole book with the white male lead who gets everything he wants in the end being called a hero because he dates somebody with a birthmark on her face. That's kind of cheap, and it didn't feel right to me, and it kind of bugged me. And I I get what they were going for, and I give them points for trying. They didn't stick the landing on it, and it just – I don't know. I didn't – which which part did you not have a problem with him dating the girl or the, or H turning out to be a black, a female? Really, in, both which of is them. Like the opposite of what we expect. Really, well, okay. First of all, that character was so mysterious. The whole book, you knew something. They were going to reveal something. What? Because that was what I was referencing. I was referencing the, no, I know. Um, the H character, but like, uh, but I combined that, them. I thought that that was the that was the like. The, the, the message we needed, like there, there didn't seem to be like, he was hinting at a message, this whole book, like some kind of, of like, this is what I'm trying to tell society other than, Oh my God, I really love the eighties. Like some kind of little like note or commentary. And then finally, when, when he says like, all right, here's this character that you guys all assumed was just a guy. I, Cause he's nerdy, but he turns out to be like this big, black chick and it's like a total surprise to everybody i don't think it was a surprise at all i i i, I wasn't going to call that specifically but i you knew something was up the whole book that character is the only one you don't get any personal details on so you know that there's going to be some sort of twist with that character and it was tacked on at the end and that message is nowhere throughout the book except at the end of the book which i think is unfair i, don't know. I thought that the the japanese brothers could have very easily have turned out to be like weeaboos like americans 
that like are just really obsessed with anime, so they made their avatars Japanese, of course. But that's but that's what I'm saying. If you had done that, I, I would have felt a little better about it. I have a problem because it's like, what women in video games? You're crazy. You know, it's <laughs> like it's like don't don't. It's obvious for me, and it's like it's. The love story, by the way, for me also felt tacked on. And it was like I wasn't it, again, it's that young adult fiction where the two lead characters have to fall in love at the end. And it's like they never met in person besides the last few sentences in the book. Um, the, the the this online romance was really based around a contest to win money. Um, and I, I don't know. I it just it all I got to the end and I'm like, that wasn't the ending I wanted. I did not want it to end in a love story. I wanted it to end with him getting rich. That's the ending. Don't tack on the love story. I can tell you why he did that, Sean. I can tell you why he... Because he's a he terrible writer with no well, original ideas. Also, I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but he loves the 80s. And in every 80s movie... Yep. Okay, that's basically... that. That's how it went. You know, every... every think of an 80s movie where the, 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 the pathetic hero doesn't get the girl. There isn't one. They all, they don't, that's how all of them go. So he almost modeled, I feel like he just modeled the book after all of these 80s movies that he referenced and borderline worship through this book. Um, I don't think it was earned in any way. I think that that relationship was totally unearned. I think that our, um, our sympathy for the relationship or like acceptance of it is totally unearned. And I think that the the worst part of that whole thing for me is that she goes from not knowing him to being a ri his rival to hating him to liking him to hating him again and then to loving him and basically in in no conceptual way that the actual human that that models actual human behavior it, it just doesn't it's just not how people really are mm -hmm. it's just not how how like it felt very artificial to me I guess that's how I could describe most of the book and most of the interaction between the characters. It was just very, well, very artificial feeling. But there's this like nugget of love inside that you can really tell the, you know, I could tell like as he was writing it, maybe he secretly thought it was going to be terrible, but that was going to be okay. Cause he really, really loves the eighties and he just wanted to tell people about it. I, if, if the message at the end had been friendship, I would have bought it. We're different people from different parts of the world with different experiences, but together we can come together and defeat evil. That's a good message. You've reinforced it throughout the whole book. You've shown that throughout the whole book. I get it. Don't just don't just don't end the book by saying, "Wow, what a nice guy!" Because he's friends with a black woman. Like it, it's weird, and I didn't like it. But I will say, <laughs> what I did find good there is good in this book, and there were two things about this book I actually really liked, and I think that's why I stayed with it. And and we'll talk about our final judgments at the end. But um, I really liked the contest, and I really liked the villain. I will start with the contest. Um, I thought the contest was written in a way that was... Just, I, of course he was going to win in the end. Everyone knew he was going to win in the end. Duh. Um, it still felt suspenseful to me reading it. I still... I, I Maybe just because I don't know enough about 80s video games that like there was some mystery element to me as the reader where things were being solved. I thought he did a good job of 
our, our hero character was in the lead some of the time, but then he was behind, and then if he felt down and out, but then he came back. I felt that element was written well, um, and it really kept me engrossed and engaged uh, throughout throughout the book. If you had just removed that first third of the book where the contest wasn't really going on, I felt it would have been a better book because that's the part that really gets you going, and, and you don't want to put the book down because it's so engrossing. Yeah, um, speaking on the contest first... That part was really I, I I just really wanted to know more of the more of the how than the the what or the why. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to know how he was gonna get to the next part, like what he was gonna have to do in order to get the the next key after that, and then the door where the door was gonna be. It was just interesting. I I, I wanted to know I, I it was very – this book was very, very much the journey and not the destination. Absolutely. Because we all knew the destination. We we knew he was going to get the girl. We knew he was going to defeat the villain. We knew he was going to find the treasure and win. There was no way it was going to end in any other way. But like the – um, it almost just – that's why – that's you know kind of kept me turning the pages, just wanting to see what was going to happen next. Um. And I, I think I think the events within the contest were actually kind of clever in some ways. Like like the war games thing, yes, he did solve it way too easily. But the idea of a contest where you have to recite every line from a movie perfectly within while being the character in the movie, like to me, that's a really cool idea. Like, could I do that? Like, you know, how hard would that be to to accomplish? I think that would be borderline impossible for anybody that doesn't have like a graphic memory well i think if you had enough tries at it i think (laughs) it would have to be a movie that you really loved but but i liked the idea of that and i liked the idea of some of the other um again i just like the back and forth between our our heroes and our villains where it's like oh no the villains figured this thing out before we did oh no but now we've got a leg up on them and Oh, you know, now we have to attack them and get this like that part was really sort of was really sort of neat and how the world kind of came against the villain in the end. I, I thought that that was executed reasonably well. Sean, I, I didn't hear any of that. What you just oh, said. No. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you, can hear, you hear me? me? Can you hear me, Matt? I think your mic might be muted. No. Well, it's not muted on my end. Um, Let me try something here. Sorry about that, folks. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Hello? Matt? Hello? Can, you hear, no, can I, you hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. I yeah, hear you now. for some reason Hangouts muted me. That was weird. That was really weird. Yeah, everything on my computer screen flickered and then weird stuff happened. Whatever you were, you um you know you said though, you seemed very impassioned about it. You were like going on and on about well, it. Well, I I think Innovative Online Industries is listening and they don't like this conversation. Exactly what's um, happening. And I do want to talk about them because I actually really enjoyed them as a villain. I thought they had some good shit going on. Like, again, in my mind, I'm always thinking, if this were real, what's the coolest part about it being real? And I'm like, if this were real, there would be an evil corporation trying to take control of it. They would try to cheat 
at the contest. How would they do that? They would hire a bunch of experts and a bunch of like just like guys in suits to go in and, and a bunch of robots. Like that stuff was really well thought out. And I'm like, oh, this is neat. And they would have their. The, I thought the leader character Nolan was was kind of smart and kind of good. I would have liked to have seen more of him in the book. Um, again, the indentured servitude stuff I thought was really cool. Um, I, I just thought they made a really good villain, even sort of at the end, the fight, not great, but decent. And frankly, if they did a spinoff book, just talking about like, maybe like just some average Joe who gets sucked into the secret world of a, of an, of a business that can just kill people like that is really interesting. And again, another good nugget in a book full of nuggets. Yeah, that, um, that part that part was another part I felt like should have been explored more. You know, this, this omni omniscient corporation that can control everything. And, um, I, I really, what I really liked, another thing that, that I really liked about, um, the book was the part where he destroys it from the inside out. How he, he like basically, um, basically like shuts them down. Yep from the uh from getting himself arrested and and getting like cuz we really get to see in a way the uh the uh, uh, like the true oppression like we know that they're bad cuz they blow up the trailer park it's like it's like the Alderon moment of mm -hmm. the book um but we don't really see the like what they do to people on a daily basis they truly enslave them until Wade gets himself captured. Um, and I, I thought that part of the book was pretty, was pretty smart. Cause I didn't see that coming. Well, and, and I really enjoyed the, the, the one scene we had of interaction between our villain and hero characters, um, right after the first key was found. Right. And they offer him the money and they say, come work for us, be on our side, give, tell us how you got the key and help us find the, the clue. And of course our hero says, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I thought that was a good interaction. I would have loved to see throughout the book, more interaction with these characters and, and their sort of back and forth relationship between the two of them. I felt that would have been more interesting than our, our hero Wade doing it on his own. He kind of did it on his own. Most of the book. And I felt he could have used a little more interaction. There was too much of, again, that first person writing style rarely in my mind works. There are very few books written that way that I like because I think it's cheap. I think it's easy. I think it's easy when a character can just tell you all the answers and what they're feeling. And this book fell into this trap where we spend way too much time in one person's head and not enough time exploring relationships. Agreed. I think that's that's well said. I think Wade himself kind of monopolizes a lot of the story, and that in the first person, um, the first person speech definitely exacerbates that. Like we 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 know next to nothing about any other character other than how they interact with Wade, yep, and what Wade thinks of them, and what Wade thinks they're thinking, and or like how they're acting in relation to, to what Wade is doing and, and perceiving. I didn't like that part. Um, because these characters could have been really interesting if we had just gotten a little bit more of their own, their own thoughts. We had just gotten inside, inside their heads a little bit more. Well, and this is why I'm optimistic about the movie, which I, I, to be fair, I really shouldn't be because when you take a mediocre book and make a big budget movie out of it, that, 
almost never works. It works sometimes, but rarely. I'm optimistic because now we're going to get to see the world outside of his head. We're going to get to see the characters interacting more. And because it's a movie with expensive actors in it, you're going to see them doing more than just being alone in virtual reality. So I'm going to be optimistic that I, I rewatched the trailer now after reading the book before we started doing this. And I actually got a little excited because I said, you know, while I'm, I'm, I'm going to a high level of, of concern, I don't know. There could be something really interesting there when they, when that movie comes out in March. Yeah. Now when we compare it to the movie specifically, I think two movies which are really kind of like the the um, the light side and the dark side of when you take this kind of this kind of medium, this kind of like pop culture worship in the same regard. And the first two movies I think of the light side, you have Wreck It Ralph. Sure. You have that movie Pixels. Yeah. Starring Adam Sandler and all of Adam Sandler's friends. All right. So. So this movie could, in my mind, it, it could go one of two ways, all right? You could either take the, the Wreck-It Ralph approach, the light side, uh, where you um, just make casual references and, and kind of stick things in. Oh, remember this? Remember, you know? Um, and, and then it's like a one-note thing. Like, oh, there's Qbert. You remember Qbert? Ah, there's a character from Final Fantasy. Ha ha ha. Like, that's cool. Or you can go the dark side, which is pixels, where every reference is essential to the plot. And every reference that every kind of pop culture or video game reference drives the plot and is necessary. And you change the very nature of what those things are because you're manipulating it to form your own story. I hope they go the the first route. And I think that they will because Spielberg's a smart guy and because the book was kind of written that way. But again, you kind of have a, another element in there from the dark side where, you know, everything Wade visited in the book was essential for driving the plot. Only a couple of things got casually thrown in there. But, you know, like, for instance, quoting the movie War Games verbatim. You know, that's not going to make for a very exciting scene, I think, in the, in the movie. Unless it's done right, unless mm -hmm. it's done properly. So this is going to be a, a quite a quite a tightrope for for Mr. Spielberg to walk on. Well, and what's interesting for me, uh, because, uh, by the way, both great examples, I think, of similar genre films. Those are both comedies. You know, we're, we're talking about it's it's a drama film. I mean, this is really it's an action film. It's a it's it's a film that's got a have a lot for a lot of people and I agree having Spielberg involved is a positive but he also doesn't have a spotless film record and I will warn you that this film was written by two people one is Zach Penn who you may not have heard of but he wrote such great films as uh Electra X-Men The Last Stand the Inspector Gadget film starring Matthew Broderick um and the fir first Hulk movie um that with Eric Bana he co-wrote it with Ernest Klein. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see uh, exactly how, how that movie does. And Matt, the good news is uh, highly likely you'll be able to buy it in our winter movie league. Yeah. Um, I, I think I should get like a, um, some kind of like first dibs on it since we had this show and talked about it. And a certain other person who was also in our movie league didn't show up tonight. So, I think I should like if there's ever a bidding war between me and 
the other person, I think it's, I think I should get like a little extra, little extra boost there. I would not just get that. your hopes up. Uh, we have a Facebook comment. <laughs> we're, we're live on Facebook right now. Facebook.com no. slash up for debate TV. We've got a Facebook comment. Nicole Trayford writes, uh, she says, that is exactly how I felt about 50 shades of gray. Hmm. And I think, and I'm assuming she's referencing just because of the timing of the comment, um, turning the book into the movie. Um, specifically with 50 shades of gray which a lot of people said uh didn't quite capture the 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 spirit of the book it's it's a hard thing to do it's a like we don't really i think appreciate how difficult it is to capture the spirit of a book in a movie mm-hmm. cuz especially if it's two different two different um authors two different like author and creator combination can be really hard to do. Um, I think if you if you ever read the Lord of the Rings books and seen the movies, I think there's a there's a great example there because while they were both really really good on their own, they're both totally different just thanks to the the medium and the spirit of each one of them. Mm-hmm. That being said, I've never read Fifty Shades of Grey. But that should be our next book in the book club. Hey, you know what? Actually, that might be really funny. All right. (laughs) That might be. Yeah. We don't have to do next time, but we have to do like a Fifty Shades of Grey Twilight type book. I've heard good things. So. Um, No, Um, Matt, we've got to, uh, we're we're running out of time here. So we got to move on to Final Judgments. Unless you have any other points, I want to make sure we get through all the points on the book. Oh, I, I think we could easily do another episode on all the points, but, um, I think we can we can just kind of we can close it out here. Um, the the only other thing I was going to add is that this book has the worst opening of a book I think I've ever read. I almost put it down. I almost stopped reading it after the first few paragraphs <laughs> because it's um, you know, it's very exposition heavy. It has to be the most expo. I, do you mind if I read a little excerpt? Because it's so exposition right. heavy. But let's see if you do this. Um, it says uh, James Holiday had died during the night. I'd heard of Holiday, of course. Everyone had. He was the video game designer responsible for creating The Oasis, a massively multiplayer online game that had gradually evolved into the globally networked virtual reality most of humanity now used on a daily basis. The unprecedented success of The Oasis had made Holiday one of the wealthiest people in the world. At first, I couldn't understand why the media was making such a big deal. After all, the people of Earth had other concerns. The ongoing energy crisis, catastrophic climate change, widespread famine, poverty and disease, half a dozen wars, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. It's terrible. <laughs> I just, I just, people need, who haven't read this book need to know, hang in there, it gets better, but oh my God, that may be one of the worst openings of a book I've ever read. Yeah, it wasn't great. No, definitely so, wasn't great. So, so let's talk about um, our uh, our final judgments here. And, and I think we, we have to do. We've never done this before for a book, so we have to figure out how we want to do it. I think first off, in honor of our true Goldilocks Zone roots, I have to ask you, Matt: Was this overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? <sighs> Put me on the spot here. I'll go first if you want time. No, no, no. I, I, my first gut is, is definitely to say over overrated, like definitely hundred percent just because it is written very, very not great. Um, but at the same time, like the appreciation and the, 
it's kind of like an A for effort is what I want to give it because while it's not, while the writing really, really stinks, keeping in mind that this is the first book that this author has published. It's his first attempt at a, at a narrative like this. He's never done anything like it before. Um, and he really, really struck gold in terms of its popularity and success. Like, I mean, in my wildest dreams, could I ever even hope to come close to what he's achieved? Um, but in a way, I also feel like it's just like how I felt when, um, when he, when, uh, Parsifal gets the Easter egg at the end of the book. It, it, it just feels totally unearned. Like a, like a good, good attempt, like better luck next time. Not a, Oh man, you hit it out of the park. This is like a bestseller gold. Like, you know what I mean? Like a platinum album on the first single. No. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to my guns and say over overrated. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to have to agree with you. I think, you know, I think this book really hit at a time of peak nostalgia, peak geek culture, uh, the right book for the right time. I feel Fifty Shades did a good job of this, too, where if this book had been released five years ago, ten years ago, uh, actually it was released five years ago, that's that's the wrong way to phrase it. If it had been released pre-2000, I don't, it wouldn't have done as well. Because I just think that we're at a point where people eat up this type of content, so good, good for him. I'm genuinely happy for his success. But this is unequivocally a mess of a book. It really is. However, I enjoyed it. Yes. So it is overrated because it has set such a high bar of everyone telling me how amazing this book is. If they had come to me and just said, Sean, it's another one of those young adult novels that's really popular right now, except this one's more written for dudes in about the 80s, I would have been like, all right, I'll read that. But they didn't. They're like, oh my God, this is science fiction genius, and this guy's the next big hot thing in literature. It's like, cool your jets. No. Not, don't get your hopes up. Um, He's not having me. No, God, no. Now, to um, kind of close out, I have a fun fact Ooh, that, yes. that I, I really appreciated about this book. Um, so they reference somewhere in the book that the pre the current president and the current administration of um, of the Oasis is none other, none other than uh, Will Wheaton from of, of Star Trek The Next Generation fame, among other things. Uh, the audiobook is narrated by none other than Will Wheaton. It's a little little fun tidbit there. That's he fantastic. narrates the book, and um, there's a part where he gets a little he gets a little nod as being the president of the Oasis, um, which is pretty cool. So there you have it. Our first our first book in the book club has been completed. Um, hey, we let's we we put it in the books. We put it. It's a sign it. It's it's being raise it to the <laughs> it's rafters. The it's been it gets its bust in the Hall of Fame. Give it its green jacket. We've put it in the books. We've done it. Give it its Our medal. First book. Next up, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I will not promise we will do that. Uh, no, I think no, I think we do have a lot of great options, and I'll tell folks out there who are listening. 
If you have a recommendation for a book you'd like us to read on the show, please let us know because uh, we can only read so many books. You guys have read more than we have. Uh, so let us know. UpforDebateTV at gmail.com is our email, or you can tweet it at us at UpforDebateTV, and we'll keep an eye out for that. We may read your book. Um, and if we do, uh, we'll... S- How about this? If we pick your book on the air, we'll send you an Up for Debate tote bag, and Matt and I will sign a copy of the book you picked, and we'll send it to you with the tote bag. You get a nice tote bag to put all your books in. That's It's a book bag of sorts. Yes, exactly. I think that's great. Yeah. So you can enjoy that? Sure. Matt, um, any anything else you'd like to say to the world before we conclude? Uh, I'm looking forward to Ready Player Two, because you know that's what the sequel is going to be called. It is, right? and he's writing it. Yes, and 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 uh, like it's gonna it has suck. to be it's right. Gonna... It has to be. Well, did you see the reviews for the fo- his follow up book Armada? <laughs> no, but I, I read the snippet in the back of the book. Yeah, it, it, it was very similar to Ready Player people, One. People did not enjoy it as much. It was very much like a stream of consciousness, kind of like here's all my thoughts. Boom. I wonder if he just doesn't edit. Do you think he just doesn't really edit? Does well, he just go for it? Again, like, I'm sure in poetry it works well. In a novel, not so much. Because uh, when you said that he was a a poet, a, like a um a beat poet or whatever you called yeah, him, a, yeah, it made a lot of sense because he's very good at that stream of consciousness. Like it's in my brain and it's out my mouth. Yep. But yep. like. I think he's got to just kind of work on his editing a little bit. We'll let him fix know. all those plot and not not like right away because that's what he did in this book. But well, so that. if you're ready, player one, to watch this in theaters, it's coming out when March, March 2018. March. Okay. So starring not really. Too, I don't think it's really starring anyone particularly famous. Um, as long as it's not Adam Sandler, I'm happy. Yeah, Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook. I don't know who those people are. Olivia Cook was in Bates Motel, the Ouija movie. Um, and Ty Sheridan was oh, he was Cyclops in X Men Apocalypse. Okay. Anyway, there you go. Um, we, we've got to wrap up here, but thanks everybody for joining us. This I thought this was a super fun episode. Um, go to our website, upfordebate.tv, get all our past episodes. You can check them out there, as well as uh, there's the subscribe button up in the corner. If you click that, it gives you links to everywhere you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, we're everywhere video version on YouTube, and also where you can follow us. I mentioned the email and the Twitter account, also facebook.com slash TV. We're live Wednesday nights. I'm going to say roughly 8 p.m., but if you like the Facebook page, you'll see when we go live. We also tweet and we're live, so follow us there. We will be back next week with more great content here on Up for Debate. On behalf of Matt, thanks everybody so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.